Dear listeners, before we start the show today, we have something exciting to share with you about something we haven't done before. We are actually working on a podcast about love and relationships and dating in India. And for it, we want to hear from you. If you are between the ages of 18 and 35 and have thoughts and opinions about love and relationships and ideas on what you'd like from a dating podcast, write to us at podcast at indianexpress.com and we'll get in touch with you. Once again, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at IndianExpress.com. Now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode, we talk about the new restrictions placed on overseas citizens of India. We also talk about the centre condemning the British High Commissioner about the British Parliament talking about the farmers' protests. But first, we talk about the Afghan peace talks. India is now one of five other countries that will be at the table to decide the roadmap for peace in Afghanistan. India has finally managed this after extensive diplomatic efforts. In this segment, we talk to Indian Express's associate editor, Shubhajit Roy, about the significance of this and the reason why India has been keen to be part of these negotiations. But before we do that, here's a quick explainer about the ongoing conflict in Afghanistan. Afghanistan, in one way or the other, has been in a series of wars for over 40 years now. Though, if we were to look at the period after 1995, it has been Taliban, the Islamist fundamentalist group that has been waging war in the country. Things in the region also became complicated after the September 21 terror attacks in the US. The attack had killed over 3,000 people and the man behind the operation was identified as Osama bin Laden. The Taliban, which at the time had taken over Kabul, protected bin Laden and refused to hand him over. So the US, a month after 9-11, launched airstrikes against Afghanistan. It later also helped remove Taliban from power. But the Taliban's presence in the region continued to be there. Since then, the US has had troops stationed in Afghanistan, which are working with the country's government to fight the Taliban. But in the middle of this crisis, a major development took place last year when the US signed a peace deal with the Taliban. Shubhajit explains what happened next. So following that, so the expectation was that there would be gradual drawdown of US troops and the Taliban and the Afghan government sanctioned players, uh, that's the political players, would have discussions on the future of the process ahead. Now that involved, that was essentially sort of legitimizing Taliban as a political player, as an actor in the future of Afghanistan. That was a huge shift and India had to sort of recalibrate uh, its strategy after being in the sidelines and not engaging with Afghanistan for, for almost two decades now. Because you, if you remember, India has had a very bitter history with the Taliban including the Kandahar hijack in 1999. The Kandahar hijacking that Shubhajit talks about here was when an Indian Airlines flight carrying 190 people was hijacked by five men who belonged to the Taliban. 
The men made the flight land in various places before finally landing it in the city of Kandahar in Afghanistan. The hijackers had demanded the release of Maulana Mazood Azhar, who was a designated global terrorist and who at the time was lodged in a jail in Jammu. They also demanded the release of 35 other militants and a ransom of 2 million dollars. India eventually agreed to release Azhar and two others in exchange for all the passengers. This is one of the reasons why Shubhajit says that the Taliban being recognized as a legitimate political player by the US last year was and is a big deal for India. Now a year later, you know, there's been a change of change in government in the US from Trump administration to now the Biden administration. So the Biden administration has sort of in a sense continued with the broad contours of the policies that were adopted by the Trump administration which is to end what they call the never ending or endless war in Afghanistan which has been on for almost two decades the war like mentioned earlier that taliban has been waging in afghanistan now after the peace deal was signed between the us and the taliban talks were supposed to take place in doha but shubhajit says that plans for it have not progressed as they were expected and at the same time there has been violence in afghanistan there has been the taliban has not fulfilled its commitment so there's a fear of violence is there and there is a may first deadline for the american troops to draw down so now in the context of this there's been a proposal from the us government a us administration where they have proposed a mechanism in which six countries essentially us russia china and pakistan iran and india will form a grouping under the aegis or under the auspices of united nations and will discuss the future course of afghanistan and the other thing to note is that india actually made a lot of diplomatic efforts to be on this negotiating table with five other countries after the us signed the peace deal with the taliban Shubhajit says that India had to change its strategy towards both the Taliban and Afghanistan. So what it did was last year India participated in Doha when the peace deal between US and the Taliban took place. And a few months later in September when the there was a restart of the peace process, there was a beginning of the peace process. in september external affairs minister s jayashankar he addressed that particular gathering through a video conference and a senior official had also gone to witness these process the talks and after that since september there has been series of visits or meetings or behind the scenes talks with different political actors in india and in kabul for example This included talks with Abdullah Abdullah who is now the chair of the High Peace Council. It also included National Security Advisor Ajit Doval visiting Kabul where he met all the top players in the country including Afghan president Ashraf Ghani. Plus Shubhajit says there were also other diplomatic meets as well. 
and so there were host of other meetings that took place in which india sort of came up as a player and it not only expressed its interest but it also wanted its skin in the game so so far it has not been in the room not been in the table now us has proposed that india should be part of the table and that's why it has included this sort of proposed that india be included as part of the six country grouping here it is important to understand why india has been so keen to be part of these peace negotiations and to explain this shubhajit first points to the fact that afghanistan is india's direct neighbor you know geographically speaking if you see the indian map it actually what india claims to be what india says it is its integral part the kashmir the pakistan occupied kashmir it actually touches it shares a border with afghanistan although it is not under india's control that part but so technically speaking it is a contiguous neighbor of india having said that whatever happens in afghanistan directly impacts india and the whole history of the taliban and the post 911 or even pre 911 during the 90s whatever happened in afghanistan it had direct impact in india in kashmir so violence or terrorism or ceding of authority or power sharing by violent forces in kabul is seen by new delhi as directly affecting its interests This is the reason why Shubhajit points out that India has invested a lot in reconstruction and development of Afghanistan in the last two decades from building the parliament building in Afghanistan in Kabul to big dam to power project and then there are several small projects like building schools or or doing projects in small villages so in fact it has done projects in all the provinces of Afghanistan over the last 20 years so it has actually spent fair bit of money and capital and energy and resources and the amount goes more than about 3 billion dollars that india has spent so india has been keen to be part of this talks because only when you they say in diplomacy that if you're not on the table you end up being the menu so from that perspective india wants to be part of the table so that it can dictate the terms of agreement or terms of engagement and the path ahead in afghanistan and in terms of what it wants shubhajit says that india would like to see the end of terrorism violence and safe havens for terror outfits in the country that even pakistan is accused of using plus for democratic rights and women's rights being instituted in the region it has consistently said maintained that the gains have been made in afghanistan over the last 20 years those gains should not be lost in the current round of these negotiations as power sharing arrangements are being worked out between the taliban and the afghan uh, sort of political players so these have been sort of india's asks that uh, india would like it to be honored and respected and uh, it broadly is in line with what major afghan political players also want so they also want a peaceful prosperous stable 
Afghanistan. So that is the end goal or objective behind India's stakes in Afghanistan. The other thing to note about these negotiations and peace plans is that Russia, who's part of these talks, had first suggested a plan which excluded India. And Shubhajit says that in New Delhi, the perception is that this was done because of Russia's growing proximity with China and that it was done at Pakistan's behest. Which has never wanted India to be part of any peace process or any table on Afghanistan. So Russia was possibly making that proposal at the behest of Pakistan and China. But he says there could be other reasons for it too. Because in such cases, everyone is looking out for their own interests. But for now, America sees the value that India can bring to the table and considers it a useful partner. Especially considering the $3 billion investment India has made in the region. So, as things stand, the US has very clearly and categorically told in a proposal, in a letter from Secretary of State Tony Blinken to Afghan President Ashraf Ghani, that India should be made part of that grouping. So, in that sense, India, first time, is part of the table. And as I said earlier, it's not part of the menu. And next, we talk about OCIs, or Overseas Citizens of India. The government last week, through a Gazette notification, imposed restrictions on what OCIs can or cannot do in the country. These restrictions can have serious implications on OCIs who have been doing journalism and research work in the country. In this segment, we talk to Deepti Mantiwari, who writes on government agencies for the Indian Express about these new changes. And he first starts by explaining who counts as an overseas citizen of India. Okay, In lay terms, OCIs are such Indians who have gone abroad, taken citizenship of a foreign country, either emigrating themselves or being born to emigrated Indian parents. They have relinquished Indian citizenship because India does not have dual citizenship, but enjoy greater rights in India compared to other foreigners. That's largely what we understand as OCIs. So it is important to understand that OCIs, overseas citizens of India, are not Indian citizens, but they will enjoy greater rights than a foreigner by the dint of having a very close Indian connection, either through their parents, their grandparents, or being minor children to Indian parents who have settled abroad, and the kind. But this facility is not available to such people who have settled in Pakistan or Bangladesh. Now, like mentioned earlier, the government last week issued a Gazette notification spelling out a list of rights and restrictions on OCIs. Deepdiman starts by talking about the rights first. These rights include lifelong visa for visiting India for any purpose, multiple entry exit, exemption from registration with FRRO for any length of stay in India, and parity with Indian nationals in the matter of domestic affairs, entry fees to monuments and other such public places. It also grants OCI card holders the right to enjoy parity with non-resident Indians in adoption of children, appearing in competitive exams, purchase or sale of immovable property barring agricultural and farmhouses or plantation properties, 
pursuing professions such as of doctors, lawyers, architects, chartered accountants. Now these rights, however, have been subjected to certain restrictions. He says. Now these restrictions, which are new and did not exist earlier, compared to the rights which have many of which have existed earlier, say that these restrictions say that this lifelong visa for quote unquote any purpose can be enjoyed provided the OCI obtains a special permission from either the competent authority or the FRRO to undertake research, to undertake any missionary or tablighi activity, to undertake mountaineering, to undertake journalistic activity, to undertake internship in any foreign diplomatic mission or foreign government organizations in India, or to take up employment in any foreign diplomatic mission in India. Also, they will need prior permission to visit any place which falls within the protected or restricted or prohibited area as notified by the central government or competent authority now while things like journalism research work and mountaineering activity is self explanatory deeptiman says that working for a foreign government organization however could mean a variety of different things because the notification doesn't talk about it in detail so this could hem in ocis from working for any sort of foreign government organization in india then when we say they will need prior permission to visit any protected or restricted area this is on par with how we treat say foreign journalists they have to take special permission to report in kashmir they need special permission to go to a tribal area for example if somebody has to go to sukma and report on tribals there uh, sukma in chhattisgarh the bastar region they will have to take special permission this was earlier only applied to foreign journalists now it could apply also to researchers and journalists who are ocis these restrictions were not there on ocis earlier so it is very important to understand how it will impact the functioning of such people apart from this he says restrictions have also been put on the rights of ocis to take admission in some of india's premium education institutes through exams like neet which is an exam to get into medical and dental courses and jee which is an exam for engineering aspirants here the government had earlier said that ocis can appear in any of these exams almost giving them a carte blanche rights as indian citizens now it has said that they will be on par with non resident indians that is nris and they can only claim seats which are reserved for nris and they cannot claim seats which are reserved for indian citizens so this is a big difference there are some other minor restrictions as well but largely these are the major restrictions which they have been subjected to now the government has been saying that these rights and restrictions have been mentioned before through three notifications of 2005 2007 and 2009 but deepthiman says that when you read these notifications closely you'll find that while the rights are mentioned there is no mention of restrictions the restrictions were first mentioned by the government 
by publishing an OCI brochure in November 2019. Even these restrictions have been further clarified now through the Thursday's Gazette notification, which we just discussed. So the 2019 OCI brochure is the first document when these restrictions have been mentioned. The 2005, 2007 and 2009 notifications only talk about broader rights of OCIs, but do not talk about the limitations to which these rights will be subjected to. But the question is, if these restrictions were mentioned before, at least on paper, why notify them now? Deepthiman says that it appears the basic aim of the government is to give a legal sanctity to the 2019 OCI brochure. And that's what a Gazette notification does. It makes it like an executive order. And to understand why the government wanted to give it legal sanctity, one needs to understand the background in which the brochure came about. Deepthiman talks about it. Government was facing litigations in various courts on the rights of OCIs in practicing uh, missionary activities or any other occupation. There was a case where a US citizen who was a doctor by profession and practicing in Raksal, Bihar, his OCI card was cancelled by the government on the allegation that he was participating in missionary activities. Now, in early 2019, the Delhi High Court quashed this government order of revoking the OCI card of this US citizen, saying that first the government could not prove that he was actually engaging in any sort of missionary activity. And two, uh, there was no bar on engaging in missionary activity because the constitution allowed people to propagate and profess any religion. Similar to this, the government was facing other cases as well. And so it was in this backdrop that the government came out with the brochure. Let's remember that in early part of last year, we also saw the great fiasco in the beginning of the pandemic period over tablighi jamaat activities, which was associated with being alleged to be super spreaders and said that they had violated visa rules by engaging into public activities. So all of this have come together to probably force the government to come up with a, a legal sanctity to that 2019 brochure. Now, Deepthiman says that these restrictions could have serious implications as they grant enormous power to the government to decide who can or cannot exercise journalism, research and missionary activity in India or what action could be taken against those who already have been doing this in India. Let's remember there are many OCIs who are working as journalists in India or who are doing research work in India because the notifications do not mention on what grounds will the government decide who to give permission for journalistic or research work and who not to. So it grants enormous discretionary power to the government to permit or not permit to someone to exercise these occupations. And in the end, we talk about the ongoing farmers' protests. The central government yesterday summoned the British High Commissioner in India and conveyed its strong opposition to the unwarranted and tedious discussion 
on the three new farm laws in the British Parliament. The government's reaction comes after a group of around dozen cross-party British MPs debated issues around the farmers' protests in India in the British Parliament based on an e-petition. The MPs questioned the Indian government's alleged use of force against farmers protesting against the new agricultural laws and journalists being targeted while covering the protests. The Ministry of External Affairs said that the Foreign Secretary advised that the British MPs should refrain from practicing vote bank politics by misrepresenting events, especially in relation to another fellow democracy. The debate in question was held in response to an e-petition which had crossed 100,000 signature threshold required for it to be approved by the House of Commons Petitions Committee. As we have mentioned previously on the podcast, farmers have been protesting at the Delhi border for over 100 days now because they want the new farm laws repealed. They feel these laws will leave them at the mercy of big private players and that they would eventually be forced to sell their crops at a lower price. You were listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, and was edited and mixed by Suresh Pawar. If you like the show, then do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can tweet us at Express Podcasts and write to us at podcasts at IndianExpress dot com.